Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Doran and this is the 10 by 9 podcast. This week, 10 by 9 was on the road again, this time in Newry, which is kind of halfway between Belfast and Dublin. It's not the first time we've been there, and it's always a wonderful vibe. We were guests of York and Fla, the Newry City Music Festival, and we've three amazing stories for you from that evening. We did our best, and I thought we sounded quite good. And we waited for half an hour, and there was no sign of the other group. So we were declared county champions. <laughs> The fun was over for me years ago, but I couldn't accept it. I clung on to this bullshit Peter Pan fantasy lifestyle. She decided to enter with Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. Are you sure? <laughs> the venue was a lovely cafe called McCoy's, so there might be a bit more background noise than usual from the busy street outside, but it shouldn't affect your enjoyment of these three wonderful stories. And here's the first, and I'm going to let the speaker introduce himself. My name is Sean O'Boyle, named after my grandfather, Sean O'Boyle, <laughs> who was a teacher in St. Patrick's College, Armagh, and wrote a book called The Irish Song Tradition in 1976, when I was only eight. And he was a judge at quite a number of faces and flas before his death in 1979. I wonder... How many times you have to listen to eight-year-olds singing before St. Peter decides you've done your time in prayer? <laughs> the original Sean of Will had seven children who followed the family tradition of being singers, musicians and teachers of Irish and music, including my father, Cahill of Will, who's here tonight, who was the head of music in St. Malachy's Castle Wellman for about 30 years including taking his turn listening to Oh, Rosh Hour repeatedly at Feshendun. In the early 1970s, he was one of the first music teachers in the newly formed Newcastle branch of Coltus Kyotori Erin at the Harbour Watch House, where, at the age of six, I started my short and unsuccessful career as a traditional musician. I learned to play Roddy McCorley on Tin Whistle, and I can still play Bajin Elamy, if anybody asks, <laughs> which they never do. <laughs> I was very impressed by the big boys like Vincent Poland and Brenton Herbie O'Hare, who had real moustaches and played real instruments like flutes and banjos and illin pipes. Unfortunately, I found out that I didn't have a natural instant knack for playing tin whistle, and I couldn't play jigs and reels like they did. So I gave up easily and took a break from it for a wee while. 40 years later, <laughs> in 2014, I thought I might give it another go. But by this time, I'm married with two kids and an actual income. So I went for the big time and got a banjo for Christmas. That was the very boy for me. I had long ginger hair, a beard and a banjo. Oh, sure, I'm almost knew Kelly already. <laughs> but funny enough, I didn't have a natural instant knack for playing the banjo either. The strings were very hard in my wee fingers and the frets were very, very far apart. But I was determined not to give up too easily. So in the new year, I went to join Newcastle Cultus again. 
and found they'd moved to the lodge in Castle Wellow. And I arrived to a warm welcome. Maybe too warm. A lot of them had been music students of my dad and were delighted that a real musician had come to join them. <laughs> had come to join them in the adult group of Kjol. The what? The adult group of Kjol. We're entering the fashion dune in June, this June. They had already decided on most of the tunes. A combination of jigs, reels, hornpipes, polkas, mixed with a few slow airs for variety. There were fiddlers, flautists, pipers, accordion, guitar, and one boring player. Once plenty. <laughs> and I was to join the other banjo player up beside the mandolin. And we tried. We really did. But after a few weeks, she turned up with another mandolin instead. Same tuning but much smaller, with the frets all beside each other. And she strongly suggested I do the same. <laughs> so, for my birthday, at the end of March, I go on to eBay, and within a couple of weeks, I had an, quite a nice second-hand mandolin to add to the collection of instruments that I still couldn't play. <laughs> but it worked. It was easier. By practicing oh, every day, I eventually got up to speed with all the tunes. It wasn't perfect, but we sounded okay. And we could turn up to the face in June and hold our heads up high. Apparently, there were only a couple of other adult groups in the competition, so we had a really good chance. And on the day, only one other adult group had registered from Bangor. So we got up and did our best, and I thought we sounded quite good. And we waited for half an hour, and there was no sign of the other group. So we were declared county champions. <laughs> a win is a win. <laughs> and here is that very medal. <laughs> on the front it says, Cultus Kiltori Erin. And on the back it says, Sean of Win. First adult group 2015. I know it does, because I told him to put it there. <laughs> I stood in line with a load of five, six and seven-year-old girls <laughs> with their medals for Irish dancing and poetry and tin whistle waiting to get my name engraved on my medal. <laughs> caused quite a stir. <laughs> a wee girl called Ishka Lecky, a nine-year-old classmate of my daughter Neve, was standing there clutching half a dozen medals, <laughs> laughing at the grown man standing <laughs> in the engraving queue. Do you get all your medals engraved? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you do with yours? I just throw them in the shoebox under the bed. <laughs> I mean, I used to have a wooden shield with lots of cup hooks on it, but you can only get about three medals on each hook, so now I just throw them in the box. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> this, this is my first and my only medal. For anything. <laughs> Ever. 
so I'm getting my name on it. <laughs> of course, what I hadn't realised, and hadn't even considered, was that as the new county champions adult group of kill, <laughs> we were now eligible for the Oscar final. <laughs> to be held at the Oscar Fla in Dungannon in a month. We had to up our game. More practice. Now two nights a week, and we all had to wear black shirts and matching bright purple ties. Apparently, we now had a reputation to uphold. <laughs> and we did get better. We drove to Dungannon on a rainy Saturday in July and sized up the competition. There were the Donegal champions, mostly fiddle players, all wearing black shirts with matching bright green ties. <laughs> There wasn't one of them under 80 years old. <laughs> but in traditional music, that's a really bad sign. It probably means they've been playing together for 75 years. <laughs> well, lads, terrible weather we're having, eh? Have you been playing together long? Not at all. Just a couple of months. Sure, it's just a bit of crack. Yes. <laughs> of course it is. Best of luck anyway, lads. And that was it. Nobody else turned up. It was just two groups this time. And they played very well. So, we got up, we did our best, and, and I thought we sounded quite good. And we played better. Hey. I'm here. <laughs> here is that very metal. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. A genuine Ulster champion medal for doing something better than someone else doing that same thing. <laughs> I did not stand in an engraving queue. This one was etched directly onto my heart. <laughs> and of course, what I had realised this time was that the new adult group of Kjell Ulster champions, we were entitled to enter... The All-Ireland. <laughs> yeah. In Sligo, in August, less than a month away. We had to up our game. More practice. Now three nights a week. And all the proper musicians and soloists from the Newcastle cultists had strong opinions on what we should play next, and how fast, and the tensions rose, and people got upset, and people walked out, and threatened to quit, and came back, and it was wild, and it was exciting, and we did get better. And we drove to Sligo on a sunny Saturday in August, and sized up the competition. And this time, the whole world had turned up. <laughs> there were the Donegal champions in black and green. Hi lads, better luck this time. <laughs> Every county champion group is entitled to compete. They even had a group from Australia. <laughs> so we got up and we did our best. I thought we sounded quite good. Yeah. And here it is. Oh. An empty metal box. <laughs> I used that to keep the other two medals in. <laughs> we didn't win. There are 32 counties in Ireland. We came in 34th. 
well behind Boston and London. But we still beat Donegal. Thanks so much, Sean. Let's hope you'll be adding to the medal tally soon. And if you think you've a story for 10 by 9 then get in touch through the submissions page on our website, which is 10 by 9com We're always, always, always looking for storytellers. Or you can contact us through our social media channels, that's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Even if you've only a smidgen of a scintilla of an idea, we'll help you bring it to fruition. Okay, next up is a first-timer. Here's Rory Cahill. So, music has been a part of my soul since I was a young lad growing up in Newry City. From my early teenage years, I developed a thirst for dance floors, clubs and illicit drugs. I love going to the Planet Love Raves in Shane's Castle and Kelly's in Portrush to see hard house and trance DJs like Lisa Lashes and Maro Bacado. Ecstasy club music and after parties were my escape from reality and I never wanted the party to end. I was always the last man standing and the last to go home. Rave culture gave me an identity that I so desperately sought. Attempts at being a hard man had failed drastically and I found myself freezing in fear or on the ground receiving a good kicking in many street fight experiences in Newry. However, in the Irish party scene, I was accepted. I could drink as much as I wanted, take as many drugs and dance for days on end. This is why I took up club videography as a career endeavor in a small English city named Stoke-on-Trent in 2012. I had just graduated with a BA Honours in Media Film Production from Staffordshire University and I wanted to, and I wanted to put my developing filmmaking skills to use. I found my chosen tribe in Stoke-on-Trent's house music scene. I was adored as the resident videographer and photographer of nearly every house music and techno event in the city. I was the go-to man, that crazy Irish video maker who came to film your party, but was still in your house three days later. <laughs> Little did I know these club experiences were only fueling the fires of what would become a near fatal drug addiction. I developed a dangerous obsession for peer validation, class A's and hedonistically charged dance floors. Stoke as a commercial music city was way behind the event video production scene compared to cities like London and Manchester. So I was the go-to guy for most events, mainly because I was the only young videographer doing it at the time in the city. There were some very popular dance music parties in which I found myself getting the opportunity to film some of the most renowned DJ producers in the world's house music scene. I built up a solid por portfolio over three years, filming every club event I could get my hands on and adding big name DJs to the list after each video came out on social media. I often spoke with Stokey Ravers about the club mecca that was Ibiza. I grew up watching movies like Kevin and Perry Go Large and It's All Gone Pete Tong. I became fascinated with the idea of making my name on the magical White Island. In May 2016, with 200 euro in my pocket, a one-way ticket and a sack full of dreams, I headed to Ibiza to meet my destiny. My first video job was with the legendary club Sankey's Ibiza, and my job was to film my whole travel experience from the UK to Ibiza. I filmed everything, 
the last kiss I shared with my girlfriend at the time, my last time using the toilet on UK soil for five years, <laughs> and the journey to the club with people I'd literally just met on the flight to Ibiza. The video job ended after I was slap bang on the Sankey's dance floor, filming the headline DJs of the night. This was the moment I knew my Ibiza roller coaster had begun. From then on, I ruthlessly pursued the goal of being the most renowned club videographer on the White Island. There were already super talented and established videographers in Ibiza's major clubs. They were filmmakers who had already been on the island for years, producing some of the most visionary music-related content I had ever seen. How could I compete? The truth is, I couldn't. I hustled, cheated, and outmaneuvered my rivals to get club video work. The dance music industry is a business that rewards cunning and intrigue, and I was like the Game of Thrones Ramsay Bolton of the Ibiza dance music industry. <laughs> I spent any money I had on drugs and alcohol. This was the reality of the work I was doing. The thousands of club revelers on the dance floor only seen the video guy up on stage, one foot away from some of the biggest artists in the world. But the truth is, I was sleeping rough on beaches for a big part of that first summer. I stayed out at after parties and then somehow ended up at the after, after, after party. <laughs> I played the social chameleon role fantastically. All I ever wanted to do was to belong to something and filming clubs gave me that purpose. But in reality, my life was slowly falling apart. During seasons two to four in Ibiza, my video production career skyrocketed. My ambition and determination had paid off. I landed jobs in legendary clubs like Amnesia and Space Ibiza, filming huge artists like Carl Cox and David Guetta on a weekly basis. I met my funk soul brother, a Colombian videographer named Camilo, on the terrace dance floor of Space Ibiza. Camilo is my kindred spirit. He had flown halfway across the world to make it in Ibiza just like me, and he was skint just like me. He had no money in the bank, but he had rows of sheer passion and filmmaking skills. We teamed up as a survival necessity, but a real brotherly bond formed. And in 2016, we started our own business, Funkso Media, that specialized in producing club video content. The reality of the success I experienced in Ibiza was that I was a daily drug user and the money Camilo and I made from filming events we spent on alcohol and endless parties. We didn't care about anything or anyone except our own ambition and ego. The fun was over for me years ago, but I couldn't accept it. I clung on to this bullshit Peter Pan fantasy lifestyle. The truth is I was just a scared young man who couldn't accept life on life's terms. I just didn't know any other way to live. Death shadowed my every move. I overdosed many times and ended up in Ibiza hospitals, wondering what it'd be like for my wee man Ireland if my body was sent across the water. Who would even know if I even died in Ibiza? Who would even care? Why would they care? I had not been an active member of my family for nearly 10 years. I stole drugs and money from my so-called Ibiza friends. I woke up in dark, scurry villa basements, not knowing who I was or how I got there. My dream for dance music glory had come to an end. The taste was bittersweet, but far more bitter than sweet, I have to say. In November 2019, Three Stone Lighter 
than the weight of the average six foot man. I threw in the towel. The game was up. I had spent the last four months locked in a beachside apartment bedroom with no windows, lost in a vortex of pain and misery. I contemplated suicide. With our company camera stolen from a club toilet, no money in the bank and no home, I returned back to Newry where it had all started 10 years ago. I was a shell of a human being. My mum reluctantly accepted this returning vagabond back into her life after so many years of sponging off her and abusing our trust. In January 2020, I walked into my first AM meeting in Trevor Hill in Newry. I am two and a half years clean today. Functional Media is now a community interest company that specializes in delivering creative media and rap workshops to isolated young people to help build their confidence and self-esteem. I've come from a self-created hell to live a life full of joy, compassion, and gratitude. I take one day at a time as to dwell too much on the past or future will send my head west. I am a brother to the sister I never knew or cared for, a son to the mother and father I abandoned at the age of 18. But most importantly, I'm a human being that has found a new purpose in life. I'm Rory Cahill. Thank you for listening to my story. Rory, what an amazing and honest story. Thank you so much. As I said, on the night, so much wisdom and insight in one so young. Rory is heavily involved in the FLA and is an inspiration to so many young people in Newry. Ten by nine is always free, as you know, and it always will be. But if you want to support us, you can give via Patreon or PayPal. Links are at our website. We are so grateful to everyone who has. Another way to help out, you could give us a rating, takes a second, or a kindly review, takes 20 seconds, wherever you get your podcasts. Patrick and I would love you forever. Mostly though, we're just grateful to have you listening. Okay, on to our third and final story. And here's Laurie Randall. And Laurie, I think, is the first person on the 234 10x9 podcast to start her story like this. White coral bells upon a slender stalk. We always sang that on the way to Donegal. Mostly because it seemed to stop me throwing up in the car. (laughs) But also because it was part of who we were as a family. We always sang. And then I had a family of my own. And I was keen to share the singing habit with them. Beth did school stars in your eyes at secondary school beginning with a sweet rendition of Somewhere over the rainbow which cemented her lack of street cred for a good few years. (laughs) (laughs) But aged 15, she decided to enter with Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. Oh my God. Are you sure? (laughs) You'd have to be all in to do that. Heathcliff, it's me and Cassie, I've come home now. So cold, 
But yes, she was sure. <laughs> she practiced the music, devised a dance routine with a couple of faithful friends, made the costume, and we bushed her hair. <laughs> and she wowed the school with a stunning rendition and somehow transitioned into this confident siren. On winning the school stage by popular vote, she suddenly found herself entered into the Northern Ireland finals and a whole bunch of cool kids wanted to be her backing dancers. <laughs> that year, she was robbed <laughs> by a group of fellas doing Green Day. <laughs> Next time, when she entered, she did Little Bird. I look up Little bird that lies. Finals again. Wow, the compare said that Beth sounded exactly like Annie Lennox. And she did. She was brilliant. But the judging panel gave gold to a group of youngsters who'd blacked up as the Jackson Five. <laughs> you share my pain. <laughs> Our youngest, Connor, stopped singing once his voice broke. As a little kid, his mother thought he was a very cute boy soprano with a gown and a ruff in the church choir. But those days were long gone and he was now six foot four. <laughs> <laughs> All the rest of our extended family sang with a big community choir, but not Connor. What would it take? Well, I dearly wanted him to sing with us for a big concert celebrating 50, 50th anniversary of Coromila. This might be our one chance to all sing together. Me, my mum and dad, Auntie Doreen, husband, two daughters. So I offered to pay him. <laughs> <laughs> So much for each rehearsal, and so much for the concert. <laughs> well, he agreed. But what was he now? Not a boy soprano. A tenor? A bass? The moment to melt this particular mother saw our Connor standing in the living room between his dad and my dad, while those two men helped him find his adult singing voice. Turned out he was a bass like them, though deeper still. And then there was Bryony, our wee odd chick. Such a lovely wee singer at home, 
and grand in the choir, but back then, as someone on the autistic spectrum, still very shy and awkward physically. Her sister Beth now led the cantor for Ukatula, the African prayer for peace, when we performed at various concerts. But then she left for uni in England and we had a dilemma. Who would be able to fill that cantor role? The musical director wondered if our brownie could step in. I knew she could sing it. I'd heard her in the bathroom. Um, but could she lead a choir of 50 adults? Could she deliver the power of the song? Ukatula is this massive cry for peace and justice. A soulful piece of music where the cantor lifts the whole choir into a collective heartfelt prayer. That was not a moment for being timid, being shy, being self-conscious. The cantor commands the stage, embodies the song through the gestures, ignites the rest of the choir to respond to the lead. Was that Bryony? I was worried. Would it all be too much for her? This was a supportive choir, good people, but still a big group to lead like that. I asked her what she thought. Oh, that's okay, Mummy. I'll just do Beth. <laughs> well, it was Brownie's voice, but yes, she stepped out of her rigid shyness. She walked smoothly onto the stage as Beth. She held her body with Beth's confidence and ease. And there it was, Ukatula, the African prayer for peace. The cantor lead coming from this slight wee lassie and the whole choir struggling to respond through the gush of tears. Thanks so much, Laurie. What a beautiful voice. I'm not sure why you aren't leading the choir yourself. Brilliant. And that is it for this podcast. You can keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Also, of course, email, which is story at 10by9.com or via the website, which is 10by9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes. There's plenty coming up. And please, if you can, tell as many people as you can about the podcast. It is definitely the best way to get noticed. And don't forget, maybe a wee review or a rating. Thanks to the lovely people at Jerkinfly, especially Bruno McIntosney for inviting us, our wonderful Newry audience, and all our storytellers, but especially Sean O'Boyle, Rory Cahill, and Laurie Randall. I'm Paul Dorn, and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye-bye. <laughs>